What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey everyone, it's Dan Favalli. Remember to search Blue Wire Buckets in iTunes or Spotify for more NBA content. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Favalli, your second favorite co-host around these parts. I am once again not joined by Andrew Bailey, but as we continue our deep dive into every team's offseason and long-term future, uh, I am pleased to be joined by Christian Winfield from SB Nation. He covers the NBA, specializing in both the Knicks and the Nets over there. His writing is fantastic. Also, if you haven't checked him out on Twitter, be sure to do so. He not only does an excellent job covering the NBA, but he's also going to tweet about uh, food from time to time, and he's at Chris Blashed. That's at K R I S P L A S H E D. At Chris Blashed. Before we get started, I just want to continue reminding, imploring, begging, pleading with everyone: rate, review, subscribe to us on iTunes. Search Hardwood Knox. It takes ten to fifteen seconds. Throw us that five star rating. Write a review. Andy and I love reading through those. We love seeing the ratings go up. We're really working hard to pump out these team by team off-season breakdowns. We hope that you're enjoying these uh, thorough dives into singular franchises. We will continue to cover the league at large. That's that's what we specialize in, but we really want to zero in while we have the chance as the postseason's going on and the playoff coverage is available at nausea. And we really want to get um, into breaking down each team so that every fan base feels adequately covered. If you've already subscribed to us, rated us, reviewed us, please refer us, shout us out on Twitter, anything to help us get the word out there. And be sure to follow us on Twitter. We are all over the place. I am at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E. You can follow Andy at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. And if you're not following Blue Wire, you need to get on that already. At Blue Wire Pods. We are pumping out some great content over there. We have Blue Wire Buckets, which is doing amazing, where we're just looking at all these uh, postseason series that are going on, breaking down the implications of of every game. Uh, you can catch my voice on there probably too much. Uh, I believe Andy's been on there as well. Also across all sports, Blue Wire has you covered. So at Blue Wire Pods, be sure to follow them on Twitter. Now that all of those housekeeping notes are out of the way, though, we move on to Christian Winfield of SB Nation. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hardwood Knox podcast. I am Dan Favalli coming at you yet again without my co-host, Andy Bailey. As we keep our off-season outlook train rolling, though, I am super excited to be joined by Christian Winfield. He covers the NBA, uh, Nets, Knicks, the entire league at large for SB Nation. If you are not following on him on Twitter, please do so immediately. He is at Chris Plashed. Uh, it's at K-R-S-P-L-A-S-H-E-D. I'm sure I mispronounced it, but it, his, his Twitter handle looks really cool when you're when you're reading it in your head. So there's that. Um, before we get into some Nets talk, which is the team that we're focusing on today, we have to ask, like we always ask all of our guests, Christian, how are you doing? 
I'm good. I'm good. It's a really nice day out in uh, in Brooklyn. It's pretty sunny. I haven't been outside yet, but uh, I'm definitely going to step out in a few. So uh, I feel like my mood always fluctuates with the weather. And since it's nice and sunny out, I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself, man? I'm doing great over here. And I'm based out of New York, too. So I'm enjoying that same weather. Easiest, easiest no, best day we've had uh, so far. You see it outside. It's nice. It's like the sun is smiling at us. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> um, so the Nets are going to have one of the most fascinating off seasons in the NBA. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm wondering as sort of this from like a macro perspective after closing the season 34 and 22, making the playoffs, giving the Sixers that sort of scare in game 1, where everyone was like, "Oh, this series could go the other way." Are they it does seem like they're now for the first time in the Sean Marks era facing actual stakes over the summer. And so is the pressure on them to have this big time off season or does that overstate the situation that they're in right now? Um, I, I want to say this, this 50, 50 pressure, because to be honest, this is a, a class I view as it's, it's a, a three person, you know, max free agent class. It's, it's Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, Kyrie Irving, right? And those three guys you can argue are on a tier above every other free agent. So I think the worst case scenario for the Nets would be co- like committing long-term money to the wrong player. Right. You get a Kevin Durant on a four-year max contract, you're set, you're a championship contender no matter what you do. You add Kawhi Leonard on that same deal, you're set. You add Kyrie Irving, I don't know what that backcourt is going to look like, but you've got a champion on your team. Anybody else, any other direction you go, there's question marks about their game, there's question marks about their experience, there's question marks about their the things that they've done on and off the floor. You hear the Jimmy Butler comparison a lot, or the Jimmy Butler rumor a lot. I'm not a big fan of the Jimmy Butler to Brooklyn uh Rumor. I don't think it makes a lot of sense for for their timeline. And his um, another guy I've heard about a lot about is Tobias Harris. Love Tobias Harris. Love his game. We don't necessarily know what he is capable of in terms of putting a team on his back, and um, that's what the Nets need. The Nets need a guy at that four spot. If they're going to give max money to somebody, they need someone who can put their team on his back. You know, they need that Kevin Durant, that Kawhi Leonard, even the, even a Kyrie. If you're going to pay somebody, you can go get Kyrie, and you know you're going to get a champion and get a bucket at whatever time whenever he wants. Um, I think that's the the major pitfall of this of this uh, free agency class. That there's so many like those top three names, you, you get enamored by those three, but once you drop off, the rest of those guys are kind of like you know they're they're considered max free agents because there's going to be demand, but they might not meet what the Nets need. And I think that the nightmare scenario for them is is lobbying money at somebody just for the sake of, of having a max free agent on their team versus having the right one that makes sense. You know, I always like to say. Even if the Nets don't hit it this year, Chris Stapps could become a free agent, a max free agent next summer. And I, I know his, his his injury is still in flux, but from when I got to cover him in, in New York, um, that dude is someone who could fit in on the Nets very, very well. Uh, I think he has a little bit of that killer instinct, and I don't think the Nets want to tie up all their money on the wrong free agent this year. Uh, I think the the best, the worst case scenario for them would be kicking the can down the road and re-entering free agency in 2020. Yeah, this is, when you look at it, and really look at it, it's a free agency class to get you in a lot of trouble. Not just because right. it's it's definitely top-heavy because of the star power it has, and it doesn't seem, even though like half the league's entering free agency, it seems, doesn't feel like there's a lot of in-between depth. And yet, as you just lay out, when you're looking at even the best names that are available, there are like you know three, maybe four guys where I think when you get to the Jimmy Butlers, the Kemba Walkers, like those contracts might look fine in the first year, but you get down, if they sign long-term deals and you're in year three, year four, the back end of those contracts do stand to be look pretty terrible. 
Yeah, and and let me explain. Like those those other guys outside of the first three, outside of the top three guys I listed, uh, Kawhi, KD, and Kyrie. Those guys are all all star players. You know, they're great. There are only three players in this class who who you want to be the best player on your team, right? Love Kemba Walker. I don't think he can be the best player. I think he has to be the second best player. I would love him to go to LA and play next to LeBron, take some pressure off of him. Jimmy Butler can't be the best player on your team. Uh, Chris Middleton, Tobias Harris, they cannot be the best player on your team unless you're unless you're not building a champion. Unless you're like maybe you need a star. Uh, like I think Tobias Harris would be an incredible fit for the Kings if they were able to make some space to sign him because they need a guy like him who can take some pressure off of De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Hield. But those two guys are your future. They're going to carry you across. You know, um, I think there's there's a couple different teams that could definitely benefit from having one of those non-tier one free agents. Um, I don't know what Clay Thompson is going to do. Maybe he stays in Golden State. That's where my money would be. Um, I think this jury is still out. Is he a, a guy who can get you a bucket when you need it? Um, we saw him in Golden State where the, the defense has got to, had to key in on two other th- on two other guys on the floor, sometimes three. If the defense is fully focused on stopping Clay Thompson, how does he act? You know, I think there's a lot of question marks around a lot of these guys in this draft. That doesn't mean that they're not all incredibly talented all-stars. It's just that, you know, it, it shows you the, the separation between the top three and, and the rest of and the rest of these guys. Yeah, it is. I mean, for a lot of them, it's there are teams that don't have to hesitate to give them max money, but those are the teams that already have that. You know, if they're one player away, you can afford to say, you know what, I have, uh, or maybe you can afford to say, you know, I have Jimmy Butler on a max deal for the next three or four years. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. And I think Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy's an interesting situation too. We can talk more about him later if you want, but Jimmy is, I think he, I think it makes the most sense for him to stay in Philly or to go to the Clippers. Um, the I don't Clippers, see any, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I would like him in, in the, on the Clippers, maybe with Kemba, if him and Kemba both go to the Clippers or if him and, uh, and Kyrie both go to the Clippers, that's an interesting scenario. Cause you saw what the Clippers got to do this year with, with no stars. Imagine you had Kemba or, or, or Jimmy or two stars to that, to that team. That's, that's a, a solid, a solid squad. But, uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot of interesting players in, in free agency and I, I really can't wait to see how it shakes out. Yeah, free agency is going to be interesting. And I, you've already answered this question in a sense, but there has been cursory talk as to whether you know is D'Angelo Russell a max or near max player. Uh, to um, I guess to kind of adjust that question, then what are you what are you willing to pay him if you are the Nets? Like, what is he? What is a fair value to where you can offer him X amount of dollars, and you're not going to feel like there's a pretty good chance that you get burned? Because I do think I. I was wrong about D'Angelo Russell because I was harder on him than most. I still wouldn't give him um, the max. And it doesn't sound like you would either. No, I mean, I feel like we saw two different types of D'Angelo Russells this year. We saw the D'Angelo Russell that shined when Karis LeVert was out of the lineup. uh, And then when Spencer Dinwiddie also went down with that injury, because if we think at the beginning of the year, uh, this was supposed to be Karis LeVert's team, right? I was I was in the middle of writing a story about. No, I think I finished. I think I actually penned the story about how he was supposed he was on track to be most improved based on how he started the season. And then he has that terrible injury, and then D'Angelo Russell just comes alive immediately after that, almost. And that's after Spencer Dinwiddie got hot first, and then he cooled off, and then D'Angelo Russell just took over. Um, and that was the first one we saw. We saw D'Angelo Russell who can get hot from three, who can um, make these incredible passes, who throws teammates open. Um, and then we see D'Angelo Russell in the playoffs, and uh, that was not the the prettiest sight to see. You know, this is a guy who we, if you're going to give somebody a max contract, like I said, this has to be a guy who's going to put your team on his back and granted D'Angelo Russell is still on his rookie contract he's just now finishing his rookie contract he still has a lot to grow I think he's 22 years old or so he's got a far ways to go but you look at some of you look at his game you look at where he has to go you look at 
you know, he's not necessarily going to be a quick point guard. He's not going to get around defenders, right? He's not going to be that guy that blows by his man yeah. and is at the rim. I don't think he's going to be a guy that gets to the foul line. You know, and and you look at a lot of these point guards across the league. These guys get to the line, and they're, they're all their games are predicated upon speed. And he doesn't have that. What he does have is the ability to get hot from three. So it's all like, all right, well, I think for me, it, it comes down to how does he perform when when the team needs him most, and that's in crunch time in the playoffs. Yeah, he left a lot to be desired in the playoffs in the regular season. He had some some games where he came alive down the stretch. So I don't think he is a a rookie max extension candidate in terms of the the deal Devin Booker got, the deal uh, Carl Towns got. I think that's what five years, one fifty eight. Uh, I think Carl Towns got five years, one ninety because he had the he had the All Star and the All NBA nods. Um, I don't think he gets that deal. Um, and I don't think the Nets have to be in a rush. I think when you look at across the league, number one, every other team can offer him less than what the Nets can offer. Um, and number two, I think they've had the conversation where they he knows that they have to go sign their max free agents first, and then they can exceed the salary cap to re-sign them. That's got to be common knowledge to him right now. Um, I think we wait and see where his mindset is by how how quickly he signs an offer sheet from another team, mm-hmm. right? Because if he signs an offer team an offer sheet from another team on the first day of free agency, then we know he's out for himself and he doesn't really want the Nets because then the Nets only have forty eight hours to match, which only gives them forty eight hours to sign that other free agent. Um, it's a lot of nuts and bolts. I'm, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. If, if any of the listeners don't, uh, I wrote a story about how his cap hold influences what they can do in in free agency. But I mean, I think what D'Angelo Russell does this summer, because he he kind of has some of the power in his hands. Another team is going to come at him with an offer, you know, and uh, it just depends on how quickly he signs it to see if he's, you know, fully invested in what the Nets are, are doing. I think he gets ultimately gets somewhere between uh, what the Rockets gave Clint Capella, which was, I believe, five years, 90 million. Uh, I think he probably gets somewhere between five years, 90 million and five years, 115, 120. I can't see him getting any more than that because that's just that's a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, and getting into him for too much money, you kind of hit it on the head is it'd be it's nice that he's a bigger guard who can be a lead ball handler. But we saw it in the playoffs from Philly through Ben Simmons on him when you just don't have that speed. And also right. defenses know that you're not necessarily looking to get to the rim. You are a lot easier to defend. Um, and then, but another thing that also makes it easier to defend him is that you know the Nets don't have that bona fide other guy that they can give it to. Karis LeVert is has been that guy at sometimes, and it looked like Karis needed some help out there at sometimes. So I think that they, the Nets could really do themselves a favor by finding somebody else who can get their own their own basket. But um, it just depends on who that guy is and if it's at the right price and if it's at the position that you need. The Nets need a four. Um, and they need a, a combo for who can guard multiple positions, who can hit threes, who can create his own shots and and protect the rim. Kevin Durant would be an amazing fit. But odds are, I, I'm not a believer that Kevin Durant is coming to Brooklyn. I'm not a believer that Kawhi Leonard is coming to Brooklyn either. So in the event that they strike out on both of those, you know, where do you go? But this this whole thing, we started this conversation on D'Angelo. Um, I think I think it would help D'Angelo a lot to get somebody else that can score in the front court so that, you know, the, the defense isn't always keyed in on one guy. Um, but at the same time, D'Angelo Russell has to step up and, and, and come through for the Nets in, in pressure situations. He was able to do it in the regular season uh, with some regularity, but in the playoffs. And obviously, this was, this was his first go around. I'm expecting him to grow. Um, but we need to see more from him in the playoffs for sure. I, what might maybe decomplicate or simplify his market is I don't know where another big offer would necessarily come from. You mentioned him going out and finding an offer, and I'm sure he could. I just When you look at the teams with cap space – and the teams that need a point guard or could justify investing a lot of money in a, in a guard, they don't really seem to line up. And that 
you know, D'Angelo Russell is still going to get paid, but that might help the Nets in the sense that they don't have to worry about being in a situation where they would need to make a decision on an over-the-top offer sheet. Yeah, the only team that comes to mind for me right now is Phoenix. Um, I'm not in- incredibly sure about what their caps and their, their cap space looks like right now. I don't. I haven't had a chance to look at that. But um, you know, him and him and uh and Devin Booker are good friends. You know, um, I'm pretty sure that if Devin Booker wanted D'Angelo Russell in in Phoenix, he could pull the strings with the Phoenix GM to make that happen. Um, I don't also know what Minnesota. I'm pretty sure Minnesota can't offer him. I don't think they no, have. No, they don't have cap. They probably don't have nearly enough cap, but uh, that's another team that I could see making sense that he would go to if that was at all a possibility via trade because he's good friends with Carl Anthony Towns. I think Phoenix makes the most sense, um, but like you said, yeah, the Nets are in a in a in a good scenario. I don't think there's going to be enough teams that are going to. I think that the teams that have cap space aren't lining up to sign D'Angelo Russell. You know, those the teams that have cap space like like L.A. Both L.A. teams, the Knicks, uh, Indiana should have some cap space. I don't think they're trying to sign D'Angelo Russell. Um, I think it's more so teams like like Phoenix or a team like Phoenix that would be interested in doing that. And uh, remember, the Nets kind of uh, put the Heat and the uh, the, the Trailblazers in a, a terrible scenario <laughs> not too long ago. So you know, the NBA, they, these these owners, these GMs, they don't forget. I would not be surprised if a team just threw a, a, a max offer sheet at D'Angelo Russell just because the Nets are they did that in the past. I wish that uh, D'Angelo Russell was hitting RFA either a year later or that both Portland and Miami had cap space just to see if they would throw that. But I, I know for sure Pat Riley would do that just because <laughs> and that would be hilarious. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, do you think the Nets have, if that offer comes along, I, I think Phoenix is a good bet. They need to do stuff to get to max room, um, renounce Kelly Oubre Jr., obviously, and then they still need to clear salary after that. But they would they are my team to watch as well. If if that offer does come along, do you think this Nets front office, Sean Marks, this regime, um, it, assuming Kenny Atkinson's involved in the decision making process, as well, do they have the the gall to let him walk if it came to that? Oh, man, I don't know because the interesting thing about that is you let D'Angelo Russell walk, you can only sign one player to really replace him, right? Because he has that cap. I don't think you can't replace him by signing a max free agent and then a max point guard. It's just not going to work that way. I think. The way you build a lot of these contenders is building through the draft and re-signing those free agents and doing so smartly because you can exceed the cap to re-sign them. You know that's why that's why the the, the Warriors were able to sign Kevin Durant because they had that CBA loophole. They're able to sign Kevin Durant and then re-sign their free agents. You know these teams are teams that build champions. If you're not going to sign LeBron in free agency and then trade for for other star players, you have to do so through the draft. And uh, the Nets got a chance at a draft pick when they traded for D'Angelo Russell. You know, he was kind of the draft pick that they never had. So I think letting him walk would kind of be a mistake. Um, but at the same time, you know, it, it's it's a very it's a tense situation because he's not he hasn't shown to be that alpha superstar that you need. Mm-hmm. But he might be the best that you're going to be able to get at the moment at the point guard slot. You know, and I think for that very reason, you, you re-sign him. You uh, you double down on your player development. You you believe that they can turn him into a, a star point guard. And then you get him some help. And once you get D'Angelo Russell some, some serious help, then you can make a judgment on to whether this guy is the, the guard you need for the future or a guy who you might be able to trade at some point. If, um, and this is really touches on what you wrote about the next, the Nets and getting max space, uh, even while keeping Danzel Russell and his restricted free agent hold. Uh, one, do you think that they're going to be motivated from the jump to, you know, get rid of the money, uh, i.e. Alan Krabs expiring contract necessary to open up that room? And you did kind of mention this before where it's hard for you to see any of really the top guns going there, but 
But do you think they're going to get FaceTime with these guys, which I think in itself is, is probably a victory. You know, if you land a meeting with Kevin Durant or Kawhi, uh, that's a big deal and helps you in the future. Um, I think first point asked about Alan Crabb, I think he's already been traded, you know, in, in Brooklyn's mind, I think he's gone. Um, I think they had some uh, exit meetings already. I think, well, they did have exit meetings. I think they informed Rondé Hollis Jefferson he wouldn't be coming back. Um, just because if you go look at his Instagram account, he deleted every Nets picture he had on there and took Nets out of his profile. Oh, wow. Uh, wow, yeah, I think he's gone. Um, and honestly, I, I was expecting that. Um, he just yeah. doesn't fit with the type of, of things they're trying to do. Um, but just seeing that, that means that they're, they're about business, you know. And Alan Crabb has $18.5 million on the books next year, and he's, to be honest, he's not an eighteen and a half million type of player. At least not from what we've seen last year. You know, I, you know he can get hot at times, but the Nets have a bigger picture in mind than than having a, a streaky shooter on that roster. They're going to have to trade him. I believe they're going to attach draft pick to that. Probably Denver's. I think that's pick twenty seven. Um, sorry if you hear that noise. That's my Slack ping going off. Um, that's an I think, awesome Slack ping alert. I haven't yeah. heard the the boys. It's the only way I'm going to like actually pay attention to what Slack is saying because the other noises I just I just ignore. But that one. Catches- <laughs> Um, but no, I think Allen's Crabs is good as traded. Um, the Nets know they have to. I think I think they're going to find a taker. Maybe Sacramento. Sacramento doesn't have a draft pick, and I know they want one. Um, Twenty-seven. They might have to give up their own. They might have to give up pick seventeen. I don't know if they do. Um, I actually hope they don't because they have a guy. There's a guy named uh, Cameron Johnson. I think he played at North Carolina. I think he's a really good pick for them at seventeen if he falls that far. Um, but yeah, I think Allen Crabs is good as traded. I forgot the other part to your question, but that is. Um, I, I guess it's more so, do you think they're going to get FaceTime with these big names oh. or even had to single out one of them who might actually consider Brooklyn, uh, you know, beyond the three that you would even pay max money yourself? Uh, is, like, is there a guy that you think would legitimately just like, consider them heavily and genuinely? I think that we're we're past the phase of free agents not considering Brooklyn to be an ideal uh, landing spot. You know, you look at Brooklyn, this is New York City, right? This is New Brooklyn is literally right across the bridge. You know, this is if anyone who's been here knows this is this is active. This is New York. And at the same time you're seeing how players get better over over time in Brooklyn. You see how a team has gone from uh, I don't know how many wins, a twenty win season to to making the playoffs in, in three years. Like this is a team that wants to win. You look at Kenny Atkinson, how he's guys he's got these guys going. You can see them competing at both ends of the floor, scrapping. Um I'm pretty sure Tobias Harris will at least hear the the Nets out just because he's from New York. You know, it makes sense. He's a good fit for this type of team, being that type of four. I think Kevin Durant would give the Nets a, a listen. I think Pooch wrote a, a story not so long ago. He said sources told him that Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, well, I think he said Kevin Durant specifically would, would listen in on, on, he would listen to an offer from the Nets. But I mean, I think that outside of even Kawhi, KD, and Kyrie, all those tier two free agents they're going to listen to the Nets. You know, if you're not playing the position D'Angelo Russell plays, and if you feel like you can fit a role, you can fit, you know, into the Nets system, why wouldn't you? You know, this is a team where you can go and you know your game will translate. Tobias Harris makes a lot of sense. Chris Mills, it makes a lot of sense. Jimmy Butler, if they have the money, you know, I think at this point, Jimmy Butler is going to want to, he A, wants to get a check and B, be somewhere where he can win. Uh, I'm pretty sure I, I would bet my money on him staying in Philly just because I think him and Joel Embiid just are, are that tightly knit of a, of a duo. But if not, Brooklyn would make sense for him. I'm not sure if it makes sense for them. Um, I think every free agent that is trying to win and also trying to get paid will listen to the Nets because they have money and they're trying to win. I, I, I think it's a no-brainer at this point. Uh, you mentioned this already about Rondé Hollis Jefferson, but the Nets have their own free agents uh, slash non-guarantees deals that most likely become cap casualties if they're going to go 
big game hunting. But when you look at, you've already said you think Rondé's gone. I would have agreed um, beforehand. I would not have thought it'd be so final so early on. I thought even he might be a guy like, it, does he come back as qualifying offer less than that? But for it does seem from what you said that's that it does it feels pretty final. But looking at Ed Davis, um, you have Travion Graham um, and Shabazz Napier. Uh, who among those guys do you see coming back, if any of them? Uh, man, you know, Trevion Graham is a really good dude. You know, that's a guy, every time I go into the locker, I make sure to say what's up to him. Really, really quality uh, human being. But I can't see him coming back. Um, I think the Nets brought him here for 3 and D, and they did not get the 3. No, they um, did uh, Last year in Charlotte, he shot 40%. This year, I, I think, if I, if I had to guess, I think he shot 28%, 29% from 3. Uh, it was just terrible. Uh, really good dude. I can't see him coming back. Shabazz, um, I think he's going to want to play somewhere where he can get more of an opportunity. I think being the third point guard in rotation and still being a good point guard um, is, is probably a, a tough time for him. He is uh, non-guaranteed, though. I believe he, uh, the, the Nets can guarantee his contract for next season. So if they want him to come back, he doesn't really have a say in it. Um, and it's, it's a pretty friendly contract. I think it's $1.8 million. Yeah, it's the um, same with Graham. I would keep – I would might – this isn't a hot take. I would keep Graham. Just I, He's a guy who can body up. Even though yeah, he's not big against fours, like I'd try it out at least. I wouldn't mind keeping Graham, but if you can find a replacement that can actually hit a three reliably, yeah. I would set that over him. Um, Ed Davis is a guy that I think they need to bring back. Um, he's a guy who you, you sorely missed in the in the Philly series because he was out, and they put all the pressure on Jared Allen. And um, he just does so many good things on both sides of the ball. Um, he's tough, he's grabbing rebounds. He's, he's patrolling the paint, sets really tough screens. Um, he's, he's an enforcer. He's the type of guy that you want, not only in the locker room, but on the court out there. Um, really cool dude as well. Um, that's a guy I would see the Nets trying to find a way to bring back, uh, issue there is cap space and, uh, how they, how they can figure out a way to fit his salary in there. I I think it's funny when a lot of people get caught up in, oh, Brooklyn needs size. Um, when they really just, they've never looked at their roster in that vein, but it was one of the questions they kept asking after the playoffs. I don't even need to ask you this question because you already said it, that a playmaking four is actually their biggest priority. When you're moving beyond those stars, have you looked at or consider any free agents uh, that would be a good fit to assume that role for them next year? Um, one that sticks out, I don't think he's gonna ever, ever going to hit the market. Paul Millsap would be a really good fit. Um, he has a team option for $30 million uh, in Denver. So if in the wild case that they declined that option, he became a free agent. I think that Paul Millsap would be a really, really interesting fit. Um, other than that, I'm not sure if there's too many players out there that that qualify for that max slot. Um, one guy I looked at is Julius Randle. Surprisingly, he shot 34% from three, which was like the biggest knock on his game leading into last season. Now he's about to be a free agent. I still don't consider him a max max guy. I don't think he's a max guy at all. But he's a guy. He, he he's gonna he's more than likely gonna decline a nine million dollar option with the Pelicans. So why not give him four years? You know, four years, sixty million, right? Give him fifteen million a year, seventeen million a year, whatever it takes to get him. Him and D'Angelo Russell played together in LA. I think that's one that could work. Uh, another one that could work that makes sense is Nikola Miritich. Um, he's a guy who can spread the floor, can space it out for them. Um, I think that's a really good pickup. Uh, he's just an aggressive, uh, an aggressive shooter out there for them. Um, if he can knock it down, he's been having some, uh, some, some, some misses with uh, with Milwaukee this year but I think those are two guys that make sense I had another guy that I was thinking of hold on one second it is no those are the two guys um another one they could go after if it's a little stopgap would be Markeith Morris I think he's, he's going to be a free agent I think that's just a guy who can spread the floor out who can be an enforcer out there for you he's not going to be a max guy um but this class you know 
if you're not getting Tobias Harris and, and you're not getting Jimmy Butler and Chris Middleton is re-signing in Milwaukee, um, the four spot is pretty weak, which is why I, I kicked the can down to 2020 when if Chris Porzingis takes the qualifying offer and becomes a free agent in 2020. You know, I don't think he wanted to leave Brooklyn. I don't think he wanted to leave New York. I think he just wanted to leave the Knicks franchise. And since he's done that, I I, I would not rule out him coming back, even though he has that that uh that loop that lingering case that's that's surrounding him that we haven't heard much about since then. Um, I'd like for that to clear up. I'd like to get some more details on what's going on with that. But um, in terms of fit, you know, I can't see a better one than putting Chris Stapps at the floor, having Jared Allen in there as well, and then uh, just watching them wreak havoc with their length. That was one of the uh, questions we had from our listeners. Nate Walter, Stan, at Buxton62, asked if Julius Randle would be a solid backup plan in free agency if they don't land any of the top names. Do you actually think he'd be a, a good fit with the roster? I find it – I don't trust his jumper enough to view it as like this ideal fit, but if they're – not that they'd be bent on spending their cap space, but if they're looking to actually make a sizable investment, do you actually think he's a quality fit for the roster? Yeah, I, you know, I think he, he he's a guy who's going to make the Nets run. He's going to get out there and push the pace. He's a guy who can initiate offense on his own. He's a guy who can grab a rebound, push it the full length of the floor. I think he gives you the things that Rondé should, that we wanted Rondé to do, but it just never materialized. And he's shown a willingness to work on his three-point shot. You know, he doesn't have to be a knockdown shooter now. He has to show a willingness to put the work in. And I'm not saying Rondé hasn't shown a willingness to put the work in because I personally don't know. I haven't been able to watch him practice, but I know the numbers say otherwise. And I know the numbers say that, you know, Julius Randle is a guy who's actually worked on a shot with some success. Um, another guy that I can see the Nets, well, that I, it's kind of an out-of-the-box idea. He's not a free agent, but I think they could pull off a trade for T.J. Warren over in Phoenix. I think T.J. Warren is a really good really good player. I don't think he's going to stick around in, in Phoenix just because they're they're trying to rebuild and figure stuff out and they've got young guys who they want to put in his position and play those minutes. I think putting, pulling off a trade, you could put T.J. Warren right at the four. He's a guy who can get you a bucket at any time. Um, I think that's a, a stopgap for, for getting some some help at that, at that four spot for sure. And he was for a guy who didn't really shoot threes or shoot them well, was lights out this year yeah. beyond New York. Exactly. He'd be, he'd be a great fit for Brooklyn if we were able to get him. The Another name, what about like a Marcus Morris? I know you said Markeith, but Marcus is probably a guy who would demand a multi-year investment. Is he someone that you look at as maybe might fit in with for uh, for what they need? He doesn't bring I don't, as much ball handling, but he, but he has some, uh, and he's had a hell of an offensive year for Boston. Yeah, uh, Marcus Morris is, both of the Morrises are tough, man. I love those guys. Um, those are guys that I have a running list of guys who could play on my team any day, and both of them are <laughs> Um, Marcus Morris is really tough. There was a time when uh, when him and Carmelo would battle back and forth, and I would really try to sit there and be like, "All right, well, who's who's getting the end? Who's getting the better end of this of this battle?" And sometimes it'd be Marcus Morris. You know, he's a guy. He's kind of like a baby Melo. He can score, you know, wherever you put him on the floor, and then he can also play some defense. Um, for those reasons, I don't think the Celtics let him go. I think the Celtics find a way to keep him. Uh, if he ends up leaving, uh, that would be a great fit for Brooklyn. It's not the fit that puts you over the hump, I don't think. It makes them better. It's not a fit that gets them out of the first round, depending on who else they get. All right, everyone. We've got an announcement to make. Blue Wire is teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes... A five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. You get all of that for just $3 shipped right to your door. Enough with the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality 
and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have already tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know, and they'll give you a full refund. Nothing to lose. Go try this. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for only $3. There, and you mentioned this already. I feel like you've already touched on all the topics. You were so thorough in all your answers, but Levert was Brooklyn's best player when he went down with the dislocated right foot, and he recaptured, you know, when you look at playoffs and regular season combined, his last 13 or 15 games, he was just absurd um, for that for that stretch. Do you think, or is he already Brooklyn's best cornerstone? Do you view him as that, or do you think that is what he's going to become, or is that, is that now very clearly Russell's title to lose? No, I think that... Uh... I think Karras was the best player on the Nets at the beginning of the season. Uh, I think it took him a while to get back into the groove. And I think in the playoffs and towards the end of the regular season, we saw him become the same guy that he was at the beginning of the year. Um, It's tough to say whose team it is because these guys both genuinely enjoy playing alongside each other. I think it's one of those cases where they just have to figure it out. You know, they have to figure out who who, you know, dominates the ball at what specific time. I think they both have two different types of games. Karras obviously can get around his man. Uh, D'Angelo Russell is more of a perimeter threat. Both of them can create for teammates, which is so dope. And um, both of them, at certain times, you can rely on down the stretch. Remember, Karras went on that that hot streak at the beginning of the year where he had, I think he had two back-to-back game winners, or he had one that he missed in Detroit, and then he made a floater against another team, then he had another game winner. I forget how many he had, but Karras is reliable down the stretch. D'Angelo has has proven to be reliable down the stretch at times. Um, uh, asking me if he's if there his if he's a cornerstone, I believe so. I believe he's a guy that you you can build around. Um, again, the other question is what's his ceiling? How much better can he get from here? I think he's already a damn good guard. You talk to you listen to what Jimmy Butler was talking about at the end of I believe it was Game Three. He was blowing away. He was like, "Man, Karis LeVert, that kick and play." Um, I think he's a guy that the Nets absolutely have to get into a contract extension. I think they wait until next summer to do it because doing so this summer would give you guaranteed cap space on next summer's uh, on next summer's book. So it wouldn't make so much sense now. But I think he, he's a no-brainer uh, extension candidate. Um, and I just can't wait to see what he does next. It just seems like every time he goes away from basketball, he comes back better. So now he's about to have a summer to train and work out. I should probably hit him up and see what he's working on and maybe see what's going on with him. But, yeah, no, I'm excited uh, for him because I think that uh, – I-, I wouldn't say this team is his, but it's equally as much his as it is anyone else's on the roster for sure. With the number of injuries he's had and he just still has that lightning quick first step, maybe you could also ask him, you know, did, did he learn that? Like, it can can he teach us that? Because I, <laughs> the fact that he came back and still had it was just – it is incredible to me. Yeah, no, he. Uh, I, I had a chance to uh, to talk to Brooke Lopez um, after he came back from his first injury because Karras had that injury in college and he had to rehab some uh, in Brooklyn before he started playing. And, and Brooke Lopez said, hey, man, Karras, is, Karras works harder than anyone I've ever known. The way he approached that rehab it was unhuman. So just hearing that, and it, you could see it from how he, how quickly he came back. Because when, when you first see that injury that he had, it looked like he was out for the season. He bounced back in a couple months and he was good to go, so... The way he approached that was ridiculous, and that's the way he approaches everything. Uh, I, I can't wait for him to, to, to come back next season to see what he adds to his game. Yeah, he's he's super upbeat. I remember talking to him when he was a rookie on their media day, so he was still injured at that point. He was just so upbeat 
about his recovery. That positivity is just to be able to maintain it, and I, I don't, that's that's something. But he is the so he's extension eligible, as you mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. Going to be a restricted free agent next summer, and, and I would agree with you that they probably wait unless he's willing to sign a super team friendly deal. You have D'Angelo Russell's a restricted free agent. You've already paid Dinwiddie a reasonable deal, but you've still paid him. Are the Nets going to get to a point now where they have to break up that trio? Uh, I still like the idea of trying to play make defenses off the floor and um, using all three of them together. But the numbers on that this year were were not good when they did share the floor, and they I think they tried it for a little bit um, out of at, at a desperation point against Philly, and it still wasn't that effective. Are they quickly coming to a, a crossroads where if they're going to have to pay all three of these guys, that they're going to have to choose at least one of them to probably move on from. Well, I mean, this is how, how super teams are made and how they, they break. You know, you remember OKC. OKC. I'm not saying that these guys are going to be Russ, James, uh, KD, and, and Sergi Baca, but OKC had four guys, and they arguably shipped the wrong one away. Um, or maybe they shipped the right one. You know, there's, too many, there's only one basketball. All those guys needed the ball. Bringing James Harden off the bench wasn't going wasn't gonna to work for too much longer. But, you know, at a certain point, you have to make these decisions as a franchise as who you as to who you build around. And at a certain point as a franchise, you have to pay guys, right? Because that's the only way you're going to to keep to retain talent and develop talent is to pay these guys. So, um, you know, I think that uh, at a certain point they may. And and to be honest, the jury is still out. You know, you had Karras missing a chunk of games and Spencer was missing a chunk of games. Right. I don't think they caught real chemistry all season until maybe the last week of the regular season when everybody was healthy. And then even still, you can kind of see that, that D'Angelo and Karras are still trying to figure out their, how, they, how they're how they going to play their minutes on the floor. Um, I think that the jury's still out. I think Spencer is mostly going to be the guy who attacks second units um, and gives uh, D'Angelo and Karras a breather. Um, I think they may, be, they may play that. Kenny may play that lineup in spurts, but I don't think it makes much sense because who's your backup going to be? You always need to have at least one of those three guys on the floor. Um, or maybe two of them on the floor. And I also think it depends on who the, the Nets sign this summer. If they get a four, you know, if they get a, a combo wing, you can have at least one point guard and one wing on the floor at all times, right? You could have kind of like how, how Philly does. They either have Ben Simmons and, and, and Tobias Harris on the floor or Jimmy Butler and Joel Embiid on the floor, or they mix and match them. But at all times, at least two of those four guys are on the floor. I think the Nets will be able to do something similar no matter who they – well, depending on who they sign this summer – um, especially if you get a guy like Julius Randle, you can have D'Angelo and Julius Randle on the floor at the same time, knowing that D'Angelo and Julius Randle both love pick and rolls. And then you can have Spencer and, and Karras on the floor, knowing both of those guys are downhill attacking. And then you can mix it up. I think they have, they'll have some options. Um, but like you said, eventually they're going to come to a point where the money is going to start factoring in. I know uh, Joe Sy has some deep, deep pockets, so I'm not sure <laughs> if money is going to play a role that in how true. much he's going to care about putting towards the roster. But uh, I think if it, if it translates into wins, money won't matter. If it's not translating into wins, then they might have to break something up. Um, this comes from a question, our listener, Matthias Babarars. I probably butchered that, but it's it's at Matt, B-A-B-I-A-R-Z. And I, I'm going to tweak the question a bit because uh, he's asking who's going to be the lead ball handler between those three next season. Do you think there's a chance uh, – you think Dinwiddie's going to continue to come off the bench, and I agree with you. That's just – he's a six-man-of-the-year candidate waiting sure. to happen. Is there a chance that Levert kind of usurps um, Russell for that responsibility, or is Russell's playmaking and just vision so already off the charts he's not ever in danger, at least or at least imminent danger of forfeiting that lead ball handler role? 
I think what's so beautiful about D'Angelo Russell's game is that he can play both on and off the ball. He's even said certain times that he enjoys playing off the ball more than he does actually having the ball in his hands. And I and I, I feel him on that. When you have the ball in your hands, it's so much pressure. It's a big responsibility to, to be responsible for the entire possession. you know. And sometimes he doesn't have anybody on the floor who can take that pressure off of him. Karras is a guy who welcomes that. He likes the ball in his hands. Um, so, so that being said, I can see them splitting the responsibilities in a, in a way similar to how Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum split those responsibilities and bringing the ball up and initiating the bringing the ball up and uh, initiating the offense. I can't see it being uh, Karis Levert's full time responsibility, i.e., you know, him being the point guard of of the Nets. I can't really see that. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see him being a playmaking wing, you know, in a way that maybe they they attack it in the same way where Russ and Paul George attack it. Russ Russ obviously brings the ball up all the time, uh, but Paul George brings it up on oh, this slack again. Paul George brings it up off of rebounds. He uh, he occasionally brings it up when Russ is on the court. When Russ is off the court, you can put the offense on his shoulders. I see Karras playing a, a Paul George type of uh, of role with this team going forward and being able to be a playmaker, a uh, scorer, defender. He can do it all, man. He's, I'm, I'm, I've been on the Karras of Red Train for a while, and I'm pretty sure other people have too, but he can do it all, man. I'm pretty excited. If that guy stays healthy, uh, he he should be an all-star at, at, at some point. There's, I'm, and I'm not saying he's going to be better than Paul George, but there's a very good chance that he ends up being a much better pick and roll, just initiator or leader than Paul George, because you can just see it um, on the possessions that the Nets have him run already. Yeah, for sure. And that's not to take away from Paul George. Paul no. George, that man is a monster. Um, I honestly think the offense in OKC should still be more Paul George and less Russell Westbrook. I think they're going to have no choice but to do that because Russ is regressing before our eyes. Um, but yeah, as like, Karis Avert has a very high ceiling, um, it's, and I don't think it's a matter of whether he reaches his potential because it just if you see him work, you know he's working towards that potential. It's just a matter of if his leg is going to hold up. Man, that's two injuries that he's had to deal with. Um, I think he, I think it will hold up. I think he'll be fine. But that's something that's always in the back of my mind is man, if he gets one more of those, that's that's ugly. It's it's terrible. It's it's unfortunate, you know. But um, it's just it's just another thing that he's had to overcome. You even saying Russell Westbrook's name makes me a little bit sad. I'm like almost hesitant to feel like we've almost reached the point where we're we're too hard on him, even though we're not, and he he deserves it. That whole I don't think this season was necessarily eye opening because it's the conversation around him isn't much different than it's been over the past two or three years. But that situation in OKC is just it really punches you in the feels when you start thinking about it because he is very obviously on the decline, and I don't know that he's he seeded some of the offense to Paul George this year. I agree with you. He needs to seed more. I just I don't view him, and maybe it's because he's 11 years now or something into his career and we haven't seen him adapt. I just can't see him altering his game enough to make that work. That was totally off topic, but you mentioning it just derailed my train of thought. And just to, to piggyback on that, I think for Russ to even consider changing his game completely, he'd have to be a reliable shooter. Range. And he's not reliable from there. And if defenses aren't going to respect you from three-point range, they're going to sag off of you, uh, which kind of makes it kind of just makes it a lot tougher for anybody else to get going if they don't have to respect him outside of 20 feet. You know, so I think that if Russell Westbrook does want to to help his team, the first thing he could do is become a 40 percent three-point shooter. Maybe not even 40 percent, 35, 30. And then again, I'm saying all this. I don't know what he shoots from three, what he shot from three this season. It just seems like every time I look at it, I watch him play, he's missing a three-point shot. You know, so I think becoming reliable from three-point range would be one thing. And then just, like, playing with some more pace. You know, he's a guy who's played full speed ahead all of his career, it seems. Never slowed down. It's time to slow down, bro. He's yeah. getting older, man. It's time, it's time to slow down. I, I would even take from him, he was under, he's was under. he been under 30% from three for the past two regular seasons. But when you look at, you know, over the past two playoff campaigns, he was 35.7%. 
last year, 32.4% this year. If you could get him to just junk some of those long twos that he takes and replace them with, you know, I'm not going to say full drives because he is getting older, can't play as fast. That part of his game is going to inevitably deteriorate. But, you know, if, if he just, even if he increases three-point volume and he's still shooting around 33% and you're not taking those just bad look two pointers, that in itself, I, I think, helps. I don't know how much, but I do think that it's something he has more control over than um, I'm guilty of this too, and I feel a lot of us are just saying, well, if he, you know, shot league average from three, and it's some guys just don't have that jumper in them. Yeah, you know, someone told me not too long ago that they think that the the remedy for OKC is to start uh, Dennis Schroeder and move Russell Westbrook to the two. And uh, I'm like, you know, that's not necessarily a terrible idea because now Russ doesn't have to go full speed ahead all the time. He can actually have somebody out there play make for him. Um, I, I don't think I'd be opposed to seeing that. It's just a matter of... That would be an incredible flex by Billy Donovan if he did that. Yeah. At the same time, Russ played the two in college, I believe. I think he had to change his game to play the one. Um, maybe he's naturally a, a two who had to learn how to play the one, and now he's going back to the two. I would like to see that. I'd like to see Russ with the ball out of his hands um, and let the let the defense have to key on on somebody else for a change. You know, Paul George obviously is going to be able to do, but if you've got three players on the floor who can get a bucket... And we're not sitting here and saying Russ can't get a bucket. This is a guy who can get to the rim. Seems like that will. Um, maybe you just need to to switch things up. I, I wouldn't be my. I wouldn't be opposed to seeing that on the court. I wonder. I, he is a good cutter too. They just seldom use him as one. And now that we've gone through, I know Sam Presti said Billy Donovan's coming back, but you look at having um, Billy Donovan and then Scott Brooks before that. So both long tenured coaches, and and Westbrook's game hasn't really changed. Is it? Is it is now the time? I guess that's where we start asking if it's a Westbrook thing because does even the right coach come in and get him to play in that vein? Um, um, that's a, that's a good question. It, it better not be a Westbrook thing because he's got God knows how many years left on that contract, paying him God knows how much money. Um, I, I was inclined. I was the first one. To say, well, I wouldn't say I was the first one, but my first thought was if if the Thunder lose this series convincingly, Billy Donovan's got to go. Um, I don't think he's going to have to go. It doesn't look like he's going to go now because if so, he would probably would have gotten fired already. But they've got to figure something out, you know, because it's another go around. Scotty Brooks got Scotty Brooks got fired first and they went to then got Billy Donovan. It's like, you know, how many different head coaches can you go through before you realize, hey, my problem might not be the coach. It might just be the player. Um, you know, I really hope they figure things out. I would like to see a different offense. I know that sounds kind of crazy, and maybe they don't have the personnel to run it, but if you look at what Damian Lillard said about playing the Nuggets in, in comparison to playing the Thunder, he said, yeah, man, the, the the Nuggets just somehow generate better, like they generate more quality shots than the Thunder. And that's, that's, that's not only is that just a shot, that's pretty damning of a coach's offense. And obviously they don't have, the Thunder don't have Nikola Jokic, obviously, and when you have a playmaking center, it makes life easier for a lot of people. But they have Russell Westbrook and Paul George should be having those guys move around on the court and create for everybody else. So uh, it's kind of interesting. I hope they figure things out because if not, someone's going to get fired. Yeah, for sure. And I, I would be interested. I'm not, I'll never advocate for anyone to lose their job, but if they ever do put a new coach in there, whether it's next season or sometime after, is there anyone that can uh, install an offense like that? Because it's now, you know, they don't have the shooters for it, but they do have some really good cutters, but is Westbrook willing to be used in that way? I think is something interesting to consider. Um, and that contract, I mean, you mentioned it four years and $171.1 million left on it. That's a, that that's a contract. <laughs> I mean, would you rather have Russ or would you rather have John Wall? I would rather have Russ. Um, <laughs> but here's a question that I thought about. Would you rather have 
Russ for the next four years at one, 171.1 million, or would you rather have the savings that comes with Andrew Wiggins four years and 122.2 million? So it's about a $50 million difference. Man, can I like go neither? I, I, <laughs> Andrew Wiggins. I don't know if I'd want Russ either because of that contract and his age. Andrew Wiggins, at least he's young, you know, at least he's playing all of his games, but man. I, I actually, I, when I was asked that, I went reflexively, I said Westbrook, just because oh, maybe man. I'm that low on Wiggins. And if you're going to have to have someone for four years, it might as well be, you know, Russ is still a top 20, top 25 player. Andrew Wiggins is, he's regressed. I know he's young, but he just keeps regressing. I think I would take Wiggins just because there's a level of mystique. You know what I'm saying? Because for me, it's like, all right, what is happening in Minnesota for him not to have developed right now? I would love to see Andrew Wiggins in Brooklyn just because I want Brooklyn's player development staff to get their hands on him and really push him. You know, because I don't know if it's a, if it's a Wolves thing, you know, I mean, some, I haven't seen Carl Anthony Towns is, is kind of the same player as he's been. He's just like maybe, maybe you could say a little bit better, but his numbers have, have pretty much been been solid since he's gotten into the league. He's been who we basically thought he was. And Andrew Wiggins has kind of been the same player as well. He's been the same guy. He hasn't taken any superstar strides forward. Um, you know, I'd like to see him in a new situation. I don't think there's going to be very many takers for a trade for, well, you never know. Like what if he, what if, what if the heat trade for him? What if, what if, what if Pat Riley gets his hands on him? I think a lot of these things are, are, are circumstantial, you know, like if you get drafted to Sacramento six years ago and, and your name is Derek Williams, you're probably upset. But if you're Derek Williams and you get drafted to the Spurs, you know, like what if Kawhi ends up staying in Indiana or what if Kawhi gets drafted to another team and what if the Spurs don't trade for him? He might not be the MVP that he is today. So yeah, I think a lot of things are, are circumstantial, and I, I say all that to say I think I would take Wiggins if I could take him in a different situation. Yeah, I mean, hey, $50 million cheaper, too, is, isn't nothing. Yeah, and and to, I, to his credit, he hasn't had the, the coaching carousel in, in Minnesota probably hasn't helped. I don't know. That, to me, isn't responsible for him all of a sudden abandoning these drives and getting to the free throw line so less. But that's yeah, there's definitely that level of mystique attached to the unknown, and he's young enough to where you can still argue that it exists. Right. No, for sure. Um, but to the to the team that we were actually talking about before I, I derailed us, uh, Jared Allen. What are you looking for him to do in year three? And the one thing I wanted to say is, I actually think there are a lot of people who don't think that he can be a legitimate defensive fulcrum. Uh, he is a really good rim protector, but there are a lot of other areas of the game or where metrics don't love him. I think he's actually probably better on the defensive end than people give him credit for just because when you drop back in so many pick and rolls and you have guards like the Nets do who aren't especially good at getting over screens, you're going to get burned in a lot of matchups. And my bigger concern with him is, do you ever see him being able to hold up against the stronger bigs a la Embiid, or do those matchups always figure to be a problem for him? Uh, I think he's going to be a guy that has to hit the weight room, to be honest. He's going to have to get bigger. Um, I think this is a, an eye-opening series for him just because, you know, having to be matched up with a guy like like Joel Embiid and being thoroughly dominated by a guy of his size, I think we're going to see Jared Allen get a little bit bigger. But at the same time, I don't. he's not going to be like a stocky, brolic guy who's going to be able to put right. up with those guys. So I think that he's going to have to be a guy who's, A, going to be have to stretch the floor out. We saw him, you know, go to the to the corners and shoot some threes. He has to become a lot more consistent with that. He said he would be. That would be a focus of his this summer. 
Um, I think it would also behoove him to be a, a better a better passing big, you know, especially at the elbow. Uh, when you look at what, what Nikola Jokic can do, when you look at even what guys like like Yusuf Nurkic and Ennis Kander can do, a lot of these international bigs are good at just posting up right at the, at the high post, looking over, letting teammates run around it and making the right pass. I think with a team like the Nets, those guys love to move around without the ball. Uh, him being able to hit guys out of the high post would, would definitely help his game. Um, other than that, you know, when I, I don't know how many bigs there are going to be that are going to be dominant like that to where you need Jared Allen to be that guy that, that's going to be huge. You know, like the Raptors went and got Mark Gasol, right? The teams can find another guy that can bang with a guy like Embiid. Um, I don't think it's going to be I don't think we're going to see him get to be 275 pounds. Um, I think he's fine the way he is. I think you think you were talking about him being a, a defensive staple. I think he is that guy. We saw, you saw all the blocks he got this year. Um, guys don't want to challenge him at the rim. Um, I think he's going to be that that guy for the Nets for a while. I think it'll be interesting when we see when his contract extension time comes up, how the Nets value him. I think that'll an- answer a lot of questions because we look at Clint Capella as the matchup. But Clint Capella went and he put on a lot of weight in terms of muscle. So uh, does Jared Allen go do the same is the, uh, is the, is the next question. And if Jared Allen is shooting threes, something they've they've experimented even when he was a rookie, they did that. That's right, huge right. for him. And if you want him to stay on the floor against certain matchups, exactly. I I can't see him not being a a semi reliable three point shooter next season. I, I know how he works, and I'm pretty sure he'll come back with the. I, I I don't know what he's shooting from three this year. I would guess next year he's shooting at least somewhere between 33 and 35 percent. I mean, if he's out there, that's a dream just for the position yeah. that he plays. Uh, mm-hmm. Rodion Kurutz, are you are you all the way in on him? Um, I'm not all the way out. I put it that way. Um, second round pick got more out of him than you could have expected. Um, I don't think he's a. I don't think you can bank on him being your starter. I think you need to have a star at that four slot. Um, I think you need to have somebody on the wing who can just like create plays for himself and and other teammates who can guard multiple positions. Um, who can shoot the three consistently? Don't get me. Don't get it wrong. Rodion's is a. He's a very integral piece to this team. And you saw him. He's just tough, man. He has that. <laughs> That toughness, he came. I think he elbowed Ben Simmons in the jaw or something like that. Like that's a guy you don't want to mess with, and that's a guy that you want on your team. He does so many good things. I noticed that when he's playing in summer league, he does so many good things on the ball on the floor. He can put the ball on the floor. I love that about him. Uh, he really worked on his three point shot, which has been great. Um, not as bad a defender as I expected him to be. Um, there's a lot of good things about his game. I think he just needs to grow. He needs to be a, become a more reliable three point shooter. Um, but I don't see him as a full time starter in this league. I think he started out of necessity for Brooklyn this year. And then when they could, they started Jared Dudley. I think they, they upgrade on Jared Dudley, obviously by getting someone who can shoot that three ball. Even if you go get a guy like maybe Trevor Ariza or, or Al Farouk Aminu will be a, a free agent this summer. Um, those are guys that you would probably start over, over uh, Rodion's, but that doesn't, that's not a knock on Rodion's. It's just a matter of the Nets need a, a real staple at that four to be, to be considered build on this season um i think they are going to get a guy who can play when uh, john and musa is, is actually healthy um i was at nets practice not too long ago watching him get some shots up that's a guy i talk to pretty regularly whenever i see him um he's confident he can shoot that ball he can make plays um i think he's going to be a nets have three draft picks next year he's going to be another one because they're going to get him back he hasn't really played this year um, i'm looking forward to see him grow next year as well they're just loaded now, you know, between Musa and, and Kuruks and all the other guys, and they're also just loaded with these guys between six six and six nine who are super comfortable putting the ball on the floor and, and even pulling up. And it with Kuruks too, his percentages didn't reflect it. But if you can have a year one guy 
Uh, I do tend to throw efficiency out the window for the first year and sometimes the second year. If you have someone who's comfortable pulling up off the dribble already that early, uh, there's something there. Uh, and so he's, and, and again, Musa, I didn't see enough of him. He was in the G League so much, but they're just loaded. They're stockpiled with all these these guys in, in that ideal size archetype. And so they really just have a nice well of, or a nice stable of assets at their disposal right now. Exactly. Yeah. And you could argue they don't even have to keep a lot of them. They're not going to be able to keep a lot of these guys, right? Just because of the way that the, the cap is set up, they're not going to be able to extend all of them. So they're going to be able to wheel and deal with some of these guys and be able to get, you know, actual established stars if they can put the right packages together. I'm excited. Brooklyn has, for, for the first time in a long time, there's another uh, alert. For the first time in a long time, Brooklyn kind of has options with what they can do. With They have assets, and having assets gives you options. And uh, Shaw Marks does not look like a guy who's going to mess it up. And he's proven with his track record that he, he generally finds the best way to maximize his, his picks and whatnot. So... He's gonna he's gonna put together a pretty a pretty solid offseason. I can't wait to see what he does. Yes, and uh, I'll get you out of here with this question because I know you need to go. Uh, they have those three draft picks this year. I think they're at uh, their first rounders are twenty seven and seventeen or twenty seven and sixteen or something like that. Do yep. you think they're gonna look at moving up? Is this not a draft for them to do that? And you already mentioned I like Keldon Johnson. You mentioned Cam Johnson as their. I don't know how deep you've gone into the draft prep yet, but are, are there any players you would like to see them target? Um, I, to be fair, I don't think they're going to keep all three of those, uh, first round picks. I think they trade one to, uh, to whoever they trade Alan Crabb to. So say they trade Alan Crabb to Sacramento, they're going to have to trade one of those to Sacramento to take that contract on. Yeah. And that Knicks, that Knicks second rounder, I think that they have, it's, it's like, it's not nothing. It's basically a first rounder. If it's, the- it's basically a first round. I think you trade 27 because the second round picks, you have more flexibility on contracts. Yeah, definitely. The first rounders, you kind of are built into the rookie scale. Um, so I think they do that. And then you can take 17 and 31 and package that and move up to maybe 12 or 14, depending on who's picking. I don't know the draft order just yet, but if a team wants two picks for one, why not package those two? Because at a certain point, you can't keep adding rookies, right? You have to kind of go for it and and get difference makers and sign free agents. The Nets are kind of at that crossroads right now where it's like all right well if you add three rookies to the team what are you doing right you need to package some of these guys together and uh and move up or find some talent i think they know that um i think they're at the point right now where they realize that you know this is the wheeling and dealing stage they're at the point they're they i i i I like to liken them to initially i like to liken the nets to 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 philadelphia and how they had the process but now they're kind of in the 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 danny ainge celtics type of time where they can they have assets now how do you wheel and deal those to, to put together a roster that can compete for a championship? And that's where they are now. So I think they kind of uh, start packaging some of these these picks together and uh, and really look at ways to improve the roster. Uh, Christian, thank you so much for giving me uh, so much of your time. I very much enjoyed talking Nets with you. It's going to be a big, big offseason for them. One of the more fascinating teams as we head into the summer. Uh, that We were pleased to be joined by Christian Winfield, everyone. If you have not followed him on Twitter yet, remedy that immediately, post-haste. He can be found at ChrisPlashed. That's at K-R-I-S-P-L-A-S-H-E-D. Um, his work at SB Nation covers the NBA, Nets, Knicks. It's, it's fantastic, so be sure to check him out and read him as well. And we appreciate him once again giving us so much of his time. Until next time, I leave everyone with a shout-out to the legend, Kyle Anderson.